Okay, you can go. You're listening to WRBB 104.9 FM. This is WRBB News, a collaboration between the Huntington News and WRBB. I'm one of your co-hosts, Grace. And this is Bella. Today we have two stories for you. The first one is about AI in the classroom. And then the second one, we're going to talk about the implications of jury duty for Massachusetts college students. So um, first we have Zoe McDermott here to talk about AI. Zoe, do you want to tell us a little bit about what this means, um, like, in the context of, like, learning and education? Sure. I might start from the very beginning of when I picked up the article. Yeah, Because go it for actually it. came a long way. Uh, because the original pitch was actually, I don't know how close attention you guys paid to the Reddit, uh, dis- various Reddit discussions. I have not. I haven't either. You know, it's, it's like the digital equivalent of like back rooms it's just random discussions but uh, there was a post made um uh, a user was saying that one of their papers was suspected of academic misconduct which is Mm -hmm. words words that no one wants to hear and so the pitch i picked up because you know i've i'm interested in ai and always i've never used chat gpt but it i've a lot of my friends have used it and so I wanted to know more about it. And so the pitch was write about students who have been falsely accused of using AI because AI detection technology is obviously is at its infancy because this is still in the relative scheme of technology very new. Mm-hmm. So the general the story I picked up and I thought I'd be writing was about students who are falsely accused. Right. Right. So I came in with that, um, you know, like any good journalist who thinking okay, this is what story was pitched, but let's see what the real story is. And so I went in a different direction because I found that, yes, that is a problem, but it's a very specific side of the problem. And it kind of speaks to the greater theme, which is what I ended up writing about, which is that we don't know how AI is going to be used yet or should be how it should be used yet because it's such a case-by-case basis. That's like the crux of the issue. So basically, what even counts as academic misconduct when it comes to AI? Essentially, yes, because we don't really have a a clear definition for what counts as ethical use. So how can you punish something when you can't really even define its the extent to which it should be used? It's a really murky issue is what I found. And um, so instead of taking this the hard news route of saying X number of students have been falsely accused, I wanted it to be a little more featurey so I could talk about the many, many sides to this issue. So I spoke to five people. I'm really proud of the sources uh, that I found for this. I think everybody was so well-spoken. And uh, the first person I spoke to, and actually how I opened the article, is with uh, Professor Chris Barney. He's a game design professor, really knowledgeable in his field. We spent quite a bit of the interview actually talking about uh, what AI looks like for writers and artists. And I, I did talk about that in at least three of my interviews of what it looks like in industries. It's unfortunate I didn't get to include that because this is only about academics, but I mean, you can write several books on AI right now and still have more to talk about. So of course, kind of set that aside when we focused on academics and he was telling me for his classes, there was uh, actually, we put a number to it. Um, last semester he reported 10 cases involving 18 students to the office of student conduct and conflict resolution. Uh, and he said in previous semesters, that number would have been zero. Right. Every couple of years, he said something would pop up. But that was uh, obviously an outlier event. 
And from it basically, it would just exponentially increased uh, since ChatGPT has been introduced. Do we know? Um, so we talked to professors. Do we know just where they stand as a group? Like, are you comfortable speculating on that? So that's another. That's that's another question I had to refine after every time I did an interview because I came in thinking okay, what does every professor think about it? And I ended with, well, what do you think about it? Because what I found is, and actually another wonderful source I spoke to was the writing programs director, uh, um, first year writing programs director to be specific, Kelly Garneau. Uh, She was saying, and she made this point a lot, is that this is such a case-by-case basis and it can't, you just can't put a blanket statement on it because AI, we, AI is not is such a big term it's important and i and i fell in this trap quite a few times ai covers so much we usually mean uh it to say chat gpt because that's what we're most familiar with um but there's so many flavors of ai but she was saying that the ai that people might use in the classes that she teaches for writing is going to be different than what someone might use um, to create an image and pass it off as their own or to write code. You know, there are so many different ways to use it, which is kind of a double-edged sword because there, there are so many strengths. And that was that came up in every single interview, which is like, you can make a case for the, you know, there's there's a long list of scenarios where AI is advantageous and it does help you flesh out ideas and the thing I mean we can't really I guess it kind of depends on the person whether you would consider that ethical and honest and that's that's why my headline is created or generated Mm -hmm. so there just there is no one clear case for okay yes AI or no AI and that's why um, if you notice in the article Northeastern made a statement a position statement which essentially says professors get to decide for themselves because and I think they saw this too you can't just say all right no AI across the board or go crazy mm-hmm. one thing did the so the writing professor you talked to did she talk about I know like there are certain like editing softwares or like like spell check like things like Grammarly that are often flagged as AI did she talk about something like that at all so that kind of goes back to the original pitch sort of of false positives and the resources we have at our disposal and are they actually working against us i didn't get into that to um in this interview in particular so no but she did say a very memorable quote and i do believe it ended up in the article yes uh she said quote writing has always been shaped by the tools we used to do it since the beginning so obviously that means what we have now they didn't have shakespeare didn't have grammarly but we don't write with a quill and scroll anymore so her point uh she was she was uh she was clear in defining that just because we have just because it, it can ai can be used again chat gpt in this case can be used to circumvent doing the long work of brainstorming and then drafting and editing just because it can be used to do that doesn't mean that they're are absolutely no cases where it can be used. She mentioned that it can especially help in the brainstorming stage, but she also followed that up with if people get too comfortable in that and don't learn how to be in that space in their head of, 
okay, I have an idea. Let me use my, all my brain power to see where I can take this. Mm -hmm. Then she said, that's kind of for writing specifically. That's where it starts to become problematic. I think it's interesting because I think people are trying to be open-minded about it and, you know, kind of not be stuck in this absolutely plagiarism sort of mentality. Um, but I think there is still that stigma. I don't know many people who will openly admit to using ChatGPT uh, in their classes because there has been that question. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard and it's probably going to continue to evolve with time. So enter in another one of my sources, uh, journalism professor uh, John Wibby. He was great to talk to. I mean, everyone in this article was. Uh, he talked about how he used um, image generation AI in his classes. So that that's just another example of sometimes it is frowned upon because we did talk about how there are layoffs in a lot a lot of creative industries right now because if you have to pay a computer zero dollars versus paying a human fifty thousand dollars a year from a business perspective i mean that decision's pretty clear for most people so there are there are turnoffs for like you know on one hand if you need an image for an article i mean everybody who's ever written an article knows that it's most people know that it's it's a pain to get an image sometimes and it's it's a lot of work and especially a graphic and artists might have to take a couple days to do it whereas ai can do it in a couple of seconds and but you're also losing that authenticity because remember that ai is trained using writing that already exists so that enters in a whole nother debate and that is actually an ongoing um, court case right now between the new york times and open ai and then another company where uh, the New York Times is saying you're using a you're using our writing to train your AI. That's not cool. Like that's our work. What right do you have to do that? So right. Yeah, I don't know. Grace, thoughts? Thoughts yeah, on how I you plagiarized anything? Or, have, sorry, used uh, used AI tools. Personally, yes. I have personally used AI tools. One thing that I and so we've had this um, discussion in like almost every class I'm taking this semester, but especially in my journalism classes, because people are like, there is such a like large conversation about how AI could take like roles from journalism, especially from like copywriting and stuff like that. But um, a lot of people, including myself, like use it for like, you can summarize like a research paper and it's not necessarily doing the work for you, but it does save you time in aspects like that or use it to make study materials. And I think, that's very much like a answer you would give in a class to tell a teacher and like realistically that's probably not what everyone is using AI for but I do feel like it is somewhat of a helpful tool but like Bella was saying there is like quite a bit of stigma around it. I will say I'm, I'm going to go on the record I will say I have used ChatGPT uh, in one or two very simple programming classes that I've taken oh, to yes. uh, <laughs> troubleshoot. Uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, to troubleshoot some of my code. Uh, but the actual code itself, like, I was the one, you know, writing it and blah, blah, blah. And that was interesting because I think uh, ChatGPT and other AI tools along those lines might actually be better and more efficient for things like code. Yeah, Where absolutely. there's not necessarily a ton of creativity involved, especially for entry-level stuff, mm -hmm. rather than things like, you know, personal writing 
where you know things like abstract values like voice are so valued mm-hmm. um i don't know but that's just my two cents so that actually is a perfect transition into another one of my wonderful wonderful sources uh sarah popek she's a data science ta and she's saying that exactly she would corroborate i think exactly with what you said where it can mm-hmm. be very useful for troubleshooting but the problem is when people try to write their code because chat gpt can write a line of code for them but it doesn't know firstly it doesn't know what they know and they should know from class so there are some things and then uh the overarching issue is that it's not always going to be the most efficient and i can't really speak to the world of programming beyond that um but it's 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 imperfect and so another you know what this is would be an interesting discussion (laughs) to have because i i unfairly tried to get everybody to speculate with where are we going to be in a year because now I feel like I could if I had read two papers from a student and a third one came in I feel like by that third paper I could tell all right this is their general writing style and so if that third one is is different and then putting in that prompt to chat GPT and it's spitting out something similar I feel like you could kind of have a paper trail there but the question is in a year this technology has grown a lot. Do you think we're we're approaching a point to where we won't be able to just tell by having that knowledge of what their writing style used to look like and versus what it looks like now? And so, I mean, I don't think there's a clear answer, but if anyone has an opinion on how fast it's growing. Yeah, honestly, that's that's such a good point because I know even now there's like paid versions of ChatGPT which are already significantly like more advanced than like the original like free version, I guess. But I, it is interesting how if they're pulling on like past writing from the New York Times, I wonder if like if you plugged in past papers, it could begin to understand your own writing style and produce content that is similar to like stuff you've done in the past, which is a great point. But yeah, I'm also like I'm not really that knowledgeable on the topic and I am I do think it's going to be in a very different place in a year from now, but I have no idea how. Yeah, I think my take would be is I think a lot of the middle ground of talent, uh, this is a strange thing to say, I think that some of the middle ground of talent is going to be very highly threatened. Like if you're an artist who primarily does, let's say, somewhat generic anime art style, you're probably in trouble. Um, I think really, really original ideas, or really I hope that the really original ideas that move things forward whether it be arts culture tech whatever will still break through um i think it will be extremely concerning if ai can go from being a mediocre talent uh to like a world-class one i think that's more of an existential problem so maybe it's wishful thinking on my part that it doesn't really go much further idea wise from this level like maybe it'll be really good at code but the genius thinkers will hopefully still come from the human end i don't know Mm -hmm. the other thing that i was surprised by is i did expect um more clear clearer guidelines from the university about when and where you can use it and and uh as i said they they do leave it uh largely in the hands of of professors they have a whole position statement and i'm oversimplifying it but um i guess another discussion we could have is do you think it's the responsibility of administration to have clearly defined guidelines because i'm trying to think of another another issue where it's left up to the discretion of professors and i'm having a hard time thinking of one because again as we've discussed it can't just be okay nobody can use ai period or yes everyone go ahead go crazy 
I think nobody knows. I think it's just a fool's errand to try and put too many limits on it. I think people, I mean, it's a little bit of an arms race now where people are scared to get outpaced. Maybe they personally don't like AI, but they're afraid that the next person who learns to use it as a tool, like working with it, rather than just keeping it out entirely, are going to be the people that get ahead. So I think people don't like it, maybe. Maybe that's just me projecting. But they don't want to discount it because it's going to be a tool of the future, whether people like it or not. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I feel like to that point, I, f- I think that if people also aren't learning to navigate AI and use it as I think y- you even say this in your article, how some people will compare it to like a calculator and yeah. how like mathematicians have a calculator. So AI is kind of the equivalent for different things. But if you aren't learning to work with AI and use it to your advantage, then you are probably going to be behind people in your field. Yeah, Um, that's another uh, excellent point. So the exact quote is, well, it's like having a calculator, and this is from Professor Barney. Well, it's like having a calculator. You expect me to do my long division by hand. There's a calculator. Why shouldn't I use it? So, I I mean, if this is such a maybe an over-exaggeration, but if, if you used AI in your classes, is your degree worth as much? Yeah. What yeah. happens when you show up to your field and you use shortcuts and now you don't have, you're not as far along as you should be? And so obviously these are just like hypotheticals that nobody knows the answers to. And it's kind of, it's, it's fun to flesh them out for a few minutes, but then it just gets frustrating because there is no answer. Okay. On that note, I think, are we good? Yeah. That was great. Thank you, That's Zoe. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Zoe, from the Huntington News. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Great to have you. Okay. Um, we have Jatana Savage here to talk about our second story, Jury Duty. So first off, I just want to ask you, what inspired you to write about this? Were you summoned for Jury Duty yourself, or did you have people who were around you? Um, so I'm not from Massachusetts. I'm from New York, and I was ironically enough, recently summoned for jury duty. And that was very much a shock to me. Um, I didn't realize I could be um, summoned for jury duty. Uh, So that was definitely a surprise. And it got me interested in sort of the process of jury duty and the fact that Boston has such a high college population that, I don't know, there must be some impact there if all of these out-of-state students are eligible for jury duty. As you mentioned, yeah, Boston has a very high um, like population of college students. And from my understanding, it's you can get summoned for jury duty in the state if you live there for 50% of the year, right? Yeah, that's correct. Could you talk a little bit about, a little bit more though, about what the process of getting summoned and like for jury duty looks like and what the requirements? Well, yeah, um, so the requirements are pretty standard. You have to be 18. Um, you have to live in the state of Massachusetts for more than 50% of the year, 50 or 60%, I believe. So if you say um, live in campus housing, um, that counts because you were here for more than six months. Um, You have to be a United States citizen. You have to speak good enough English to be able to understand a trial. And I think there was, I think those are like the general ones. I might be missing one or two, but it's pretty, you know, blanket. Um, requirements so that leaves a lot of people eligible to be summoned um, and you'll get a little a little thingy in the mail I got um, I went I thought I got a letter or something I got my no- notification for campus mail that I, oh you have like a whatever some USPS yeah, mail yeah. I was like wow someone sent me a letter and then I go and it's my like summons and I'm like oh well all right so and there's not really a lot of ways to 
get out of it. You can postpone your um, summons, but um, in the state of Massachusetts, you can't say you're a student and like completely get out of it, um, which you can in some states. So what <coughs> can you, what are the actual like qualifications for getting yourself out of jury duty? Like, can you use like an academic conflict? Like, does it just have to be like an, an existing academic conflict or can you not use um, school as an excuse? You can postpone it. So you are allowed a certain amount of um, postponements, but being a student isn't unfortunately an excuse yeah. for completely getting out of it. You have to serve at some point, um, which is annoying because in um, a lot of states, like I know in the article, there was a girl who um, was from New Jersey and she was able to um, fully get out of her um, jury duty there because she was a full-time student. So those policies um, differ state to state, but in Massachusetts, um, being a student is not um, enough to fully get out of your jury duty, which is unfortunate. I have a question. One, is it only summoned through like physical letter? And two, is it going to be always in the same city in which you live in? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think that you have to be summoned, yeah, in a place, like, um, you have to, in, like, the district that you live in, for example. So, like, I wouldn't get um, summoned for, I don't know, like, Brockton, Massachusetts. Right. It's, it would, I would get summoned for Boston. Um, I don't know if it is entirely by mail, I think, um, and this is just speculation, but for people who, say, are, like, college students who don't typically, like, live here for, like, long periods of time, I would imagine that the way you would find out that they were a full-time resident is through their address. So, like, that's probably... I've only heard of people getting it through the mail, um, but I feel like that's just because most of the people I know who have been summoned are college students. It's funny. um, A friend of a friend, their name is Kel. um, They're doing a co-op right now in Cape Cod, (coughs) and they specifically had to drive up to Boston to go to jury duty and they like crashed on a friend's couch for the weekend. Oh, oh I thought uh, you were going to say crash like their car. I know, that's no, what no, 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 <laughs> no, that's, that's terrible. I was like, no. oh my god. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but then they ended up missing it anyway and then they have to come back in like a few months wow. and drive up again from Cape Cod. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that has really has nothing to do with anything. But <laughs> it's like the one person I thought of when I read the article where I'm like, if you like travel somewhere short term for a co-op, like at Northeastern, if you have a, you know, where you go to New York or to Chicago or wherever it may be, it's probably going to be a bit of a pain to try and get back or to go through the paperwork of getting excused and things yeah. like that. How long can you postpone uh, uh, for? So I postponed my um, summons that I got in the fall, um, and it allowed me to postpone it up to a year, mm-hmm. um, a little less than a year. Um, and then I'm unsure if I'm going to be able to postpone it again, (laughs) Um, but it gives you sort of like a year window, Um, and then I think you only get one postponement. I might be wrong on that, but um, yeah, so it's not like you can postpone it for like five years in advance. Is it like a randomly assigned date, or is it... Do you have a little bit of choice in that? Um, the date that you receive? Like, the, the, like, reassignment date. Oh, no, you get to choose. You get to okay, choose. Like, it. I was, like, I picked the furthest possible one. Yeah, I was, like, no. yeah. <laughs> My roommate did the same thing. She just got summoned. And is, sure. it, is it through letter every time, or do you get an email? It's I'm worried about this, because what if I have been I, for jury so duty and I just didn't I personally, know. like, never check my mail. Exactly. And if yeah. I don't get a notification like that from, like, the university specifically telling me there's something in my mailbox, I guarantee you I will never be making it to jury duty oh my god what if I, I've like no you might have citizen. gotten summoned <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly oh my god yeah I hope it goes through email too but 
that's all I can say. Yeah, because like also like every year at least like for me I'm gonna be changing addresses, so like yeah, it makes it very challenging. Like even though you technically like only can postpone it once, you're get at a new address, or at least I'll be at a new address next year. Yeah. So it does get a little challenging to track you down. I will say. So it's like they, you probably could hypothetically. You know, there's some loopholes, I feel like. Like, you move, they, and if they only send it through mail, like, what are you going to do? And yeah. when you're reporting your article, how sympathetic, like, I don't remember if you guys talk to officials, but how sympathetic do you think they generally are to this stuff? Because I could easily see them being like, oh, like, you're just kids, it's okay, versus um, everyone tries to get out of jury duty, so suck <laughs> it up. Like, was there any, like, you know, positions on the spectrum there? Yeah, I was actually surprised. Um so I talked to um, two people in the criminal law field, um, and both of them not only were like, yeah, we understand that like students have classes, and sometimes that's actually something they'll take into consideration um, when they're choosing um, the jury. They'll be like, these are college kids. They can't afford to miss another day of classes, one in addition to the one they've already missed to come here. But I was surprised that... Um, college kids are actually valued on like the high quantity of college students in the area that's like seen as a positive I thought it'd be a negative like oh you know all these college kids in our courtrooms like what do they know but people actually view it as a positive because you have all these people coming from all these different places in the world and that helps in creating a more diverse jury um so I think that while they are sympathetic to the fact that students are in classes and maybe can't stay on a case for a week and miss a week of school they do also like having college kids to choose from and pull from because it gives this whole other pool of potential jurors who come from various cities and various even countries actually no well various cities (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah i i think they yeah they do appreciate the high quantity of college kids in the boston area one thing, um, I don't want to sound like super ed- educated <laughs> on this, but because um, I think I'm literally drawing my knowledge about this from like a TV show. Yeah. But I know people can also get like sequestered yeah, for jury yeah. duty. Do you know if that's like a common, how common that is for? <coughs> I know it's like completely random, <laughs> but I feel like that could be another issue um, for students if you get sequestered and then you have to take like, I don't like however long it takes off of school. Yeah, I think that's a very, very rare occurrence. Yeah, I'm sure. But <laughs> I, I think most trial, yeah. trials only last a day, so it'll be like the day you come in to be selected for the jury, and if yeah. you are selected, then an additional day for the trial. Um, I know I've heard of people, like, staying up for a week, but even that's lengthy. Like, yeah. odds are it's probably going to take from one to three days, so. Got it, yeah. Yeah, I think it just also sort of ties into the identity of Boston as a city, um, it's a weird fun fact. I can't really yeah. support it off the top of my head. Apparently, Boston did a little bit better than some other cities in the Great Recession around 2008 because of the number of universities and colleges in this city, um, where it makes it a little bit recession-proof in a way. Um, but I don't know what you know that really has to do with anything yeah. beyond just the sheer amount of young people in this city. My professor was just talking about it, um, that it's crazy how much it shapes politics housing yeah etc so i guess it makes sense that it would play into civic issues like this too i don't know yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Kind of like in Good Will Hunting. <laughs> I just watched that movie last week. It's a very good movie. You didn't have that. <laughs> I've never seen Good Will okay, Hunting. Okay, so in Good Will Hunting, the main character, Will Hunting, he's like a townie. He's from His Southie. name is Will Hunting? Yes. yes. It's a pun. Oh. <coughs> like, he's... He's a yeah, good yeah, guy, yeah. but also he's like hunting for good. Like, I don't know. It's dumb. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a silly play on words, but yeah. And then it's like there's a little bit of that culture clash between him and like Harvard and MIT students and things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're not gonna. This is not the film review podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you got anything else, Grace? Any other questions? Um, I don't think so. I hope I personally don't get summoned for jury duty. Fingers though. crossed. Um. Yeah. No. I think what you were saying though before also how there might be like a larger like number of trials and things in January but I feel like but maybe it's also because I'm like getting older and like whatever but I feel like I really had not heard the like sheer volume of people talking about how they were getting summoned until like this month I guess yeah and another interesting thing that um one of the attorneys I spoke to mentioned was how in the summer like you know that there's all these college kids here during the year but when they leave during the summer, also the pool of potential jurors drastically dips. Um, so you have a, basically a whole new population of people <clears throat> in the summer who, you know, it's a totally different demographic, mostly local Bostonians. And, like, that can potentially sway a trial because, you know, you have all these young college people and then, like, people from the area. So that's also an Yeah, definitely, thing. especially because it's more likely, like, a bit of an older population over the summer. Yeah. And... I feel like the number of college kids and like a younger population like influences like politics and also like the general like I don't know It'd be environment. The breakdown of like the kind of prosecutors who would want younger population versus not like maybe it goes by case by case, but yeah, we're really getting into open speculation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like they said, um, for example, <coughs> um, one of the lawyers I spoke to had worked on a case that took place it was a murder that took place right outside of Ruggles station so for that particular case he was very intentional on we don't want college kids and we especially don't want northeastern uh kids on our jury because that's something that's very you know close to them potential biases whatever so I think it does depend on the case but yeah like I said before in general um people tend to appreciate the nuances that a college population provides yeah, I think, yeah, civic oh, okay. duty, civic Sorry. participation um, is always a good thing. I think we're good on that note. Thank you so much for coming in, Katana. This has been WRBB News, uh, the radio's collab with the Huntington News on campus. Thank you for listening. Thank you.